Hello and welcome to the cast. We are super excited that you are listening to our conversation about life, culture, and Jesus, and we encourage you to like, share, and ask us questions. Please remember that the views expressed on the cast are those of the people expressing them and may not reflect the views of our church. With that said, enjoy. Hey everybody, we are back this week. Uh, Mike is not with us, but if you heard Brayden and Zach last week, uh, well, guess what? They're back again. So um, this time we're actually going to properly introduce them. So Zach, why don't you start? My name's Zach. I'm a software developer and um, I also volunteer with the church for Muscle and Truck Crew. Very good. Very good. All right, Brayden, how about you? Hi, yes, uh, Brayden. Uh, I'm a paramedic here in the region, uh, so you might see me in an ambulance or walking around getting a coffee. Um, I am on production with Zach. We work together pretty closely at the church. You'll see us running around sweating on a Sunday. Yep. So today we are going to talk about another maybe controversial topic. Well, it definitely is a controversial topic. I don't know how much we're going to agree or disagree with each other, but Zach wanted to bring this up, and uh, I think it's a... It's one we haven't really dived into before on the cast, and that is guns. Christians have a funny relationship with guns, um, especially in America where guns are legal. They are seen as very much part of the culture, and so is Christianity. Christianity is is really embedded in the fabric of, of American society, too. But without maybe that cultural um, narrative kind of in the background of this topic, how should Christians see guns in general like in a vacuum what is a gun to a christian Hmm. yeah okay so i think there's a lot of aspects to the topic uh one is like um if you come at this from the perspective of gun violence like Mm -hmm. we're just looking at like okay how are people dying you know suicide rates what's going on here so one of the things is um uh, suicide rates in, in men are much more likely to be successful because they generally use more violent, directly violent means such as guns. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, access to guns, obviously I don't think any uh, gun owner proponent would suggest that it's good for people to have access to guns when they're uh, mentally unstable. But right. <clears throat> I think there's a, there's a big difference in how we view guns. So Obviously, there's going to be a bleed over of the culture from the United States of, you know, the right to bear arms, yeah. um, which w- when you do a, a little bit of research, um, at least to what I've found, it seems like a uh, the, the actual wording there is a well-regulated militia, which I don't think I know any gun owner that belongs to a militia. Mm. So that kind of throws that into question. But that's more uh, relevant to the United States. I think for Canada, we have a different gun law. So in the States is going to be... Um, uh, it's open so by default you have the right to own a gun versus in Canada by default you do not have the right to own a gun and you must apply for the right to own a gun versus Mm -hmm. in the United States they restrict certain people from owning guns such as you know previous criminal experience and various criteria like that Um, and then you look at Australia I find an interesting case is similar to Canada but 
they had that huge gun buyback after they had um, uh, some shooting incident a while back. I don't recall the specifics of that, but that was where they drastically reduced the number of guns, and especially they reduced um, assault rifles and high-caliber weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think gun buybacks are very interesting. But a lot of people say, obviously, in the United States, it's not feasible. Like, the government doesn't have enough money to buy all those back. But uh, in Canada, um, it also might not be possible. But I think the, you know, those are sort of all little rabbit holes we can dive into. But I think the key questions are, like, is it good? Um, Is it helpful for me to own a gun? Right. Um, Why do I feel the need to own a gun? I think a question of, you know, we're going to say... A lot of people who are proponents, I've heard the argument of uh, defense against a tyrannical government, mm-hmm. yeah. which to me seems to be very uh, short-sighted. I don't yeah, think... Yeah, it's, it's a big 1776 kind of thing, mm-hmm. I think. Like, it's just that spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that's the thing that's very common in the United States. And I think defense against a tyrannical government, I think if you think that you and your guns are going to stop the army that is trained and professionals... Uh, I think you're out of your depth a little bit, and I think mm-hmm. you're sort of deluding yourself. Yeah. Now, I do understand the, I think where there's a little more merit is the defense of my family, where I'm going to say, you know, like, I need this for my personal security. Let's say I live in a sketchy neighborhood, right. for example, perhaps, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say, you know what, the the likelihood of um, me coming under threat is fairly high. Yeah. And there is the argument, I guess, too, of like guns as a deterrent from people attacking your family for example um but i think like what it boils down to for me is just it's like a gun is for the purpose of killing something like that is that is just what it's for it's for nothing else i guess there are shooting ranges people enjoy going to shooting ranges to me that is probably just part of some fantasy of like taking a gun and just shooting stuff like people Mm -hmm. Like, it's target practice, okay, but it's target practice so that you can get good at killing things. Like, it's all, there is kind of an end goal in sight, and that is that you can take something's life. Now, in the case of hunting, I I mean, I'm a vegetarian, but I don't really, like, hunting is cool with me. Like, that's, you know, they're, it's part of a sustainable, supposedly it's part of a sustainable um, agricultural practice where populations of certain animals are kept in check and whatnot. And, you know, it's a, it's a sport thing, and it's not meant to, to kill humans. There's kind of a purpose to it. But in the States, and I, and I don't think we deal with this as much in Canada, but gun ownership is very much about the potential to kill other people, which as Christians, and, and, you know, even just thinking about how Jesus told Peter to put down the sword, like, on a very basic level, that that's not what we're about, I don't feel like, as, as a people. Yeah, I think... There comes an interesting question there of, you know, under what circumstances should a Christian take up arms, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, um, I don't think you can make a huge argument for, like, full pacifism out of the Bible. Um, Right. I do think, however, there's a difference between um, the persecution that Christians are undergoing in other areas of the world versus what's going on in the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. I think there's very little threat on a physical level. Um, <clears throat> I do think that um, we can easily get trapped into um, single ideas. I think if we're going to say like, oh, well, you know what? I need it for hunting. I think what a, what's a useful tactic is, is to say, okay, well, 
so then let's look at that. Let's say, okay, the only way that you can get a gun is to have a hunting license and to actually use that hunting license and yeah. go out hunting every year. And if you don't, like your, your gun license gets pulled. Right. So what's that question? Okay, well, you know, just in the context of your shooting range. Great. Shooting ranges, like your gun stays there. It's illegal to take it outside. In that context, are you okay with that being the case? Because I think what a lot of people do is sort of a red herring argument where they say, um, well, th this case over here, that's why I need it. And then they sort of use that to usher in, well, that's, but I'm going to keep it at home and I want to use that. And, uh, that's how, you know, all these guns are going to be getting into society where the potential for damage is very high. That's an interesting point about like the potential and just even the potential for guns to get into society. Yeah. Period. Because Braden, I, you're a paramedic. How often do you encounter guns when you're on the job like it, would it surprise people how many guns are in society do you think yeah i think um i think being in the field it opens your eyes to a lot more obviously it's not like everybody has a weapon on them or something like that but it, when i first started it did surprise me to you know even interacting with the police just asking them and mm -hmm. and like you know what they seize on a daily basis or a monthly basis it is surprising especially considering you're we live in a country that you know you don't see everybody walking around with a gun in their pocket, right? Or right. Um, so, not to like, it's not anything to fear monger about or be a, be afraid of living here, but it's an awareness that it does exist. Yeah. And obviously, we're not America, and it's not even close. But that's not to say that there are no guns on the street. Okay. So, so like, if a Canadian were to tell you, like, I wish I had a gun so I could protect my family because there are guns out there, like... Would that, would you kind of roll your eyes at that or would you be like, okay, like I do understand that. Like there are neighborhoods where it's legitimately that dangerous. Um, yeah, there are neighborhoods that are a little bit more, um, dangerous. That being said, there's truth. People want to be protecting themselves. Right. And, uh, I think as Christians, like we're not meant to, like Zach was saying, being pacifist and we're not welcoming you know, hey, like non, like violence exists. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to stand up a little bit as a Christian. We don't get trampled over. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like the uh, even if you look in the Bible, like the New Testament, and the Old Testament, there's this clear switch of like how violence was. Old Testament has a lot of, you know, people would say violence in it. New Testament, not as much. Yeah. So, well, like more of a of a call in the New Testament to not for specifically from Jesus to not participate. Exactly, which in, makes in the violence. topic a little bit more of a, a yeah. challenge when you see Jesus is like, nope, we're not meant to be violent. Yeah, and and um, so there is this like a lot. Of, there's what we call in, in Christianity like the the peace churches, and a lot of them would be like Anabaptist churches, so like Mennonite, Amish, Hutterite. Um, yeah, those those kinds of folks they would subscribe to a reading of Matthew 5, 38, 42 as like non-resistance. So distinct from pacifism in that I think you don't, it's, it's authority you don't resist because of how Jesus submitted to being killed on the cross and told Peter to put down his sword, that kind of thing, um, even when authority is unjust. So which would come like very much against the revolutionary spirit of 1776 and so the verse specifically is, you've heard it said, um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So these would be, that's the kind of verse that this ethic would come from.
Yeah, I think the context of Old and New Testament is very interesting. Um, I'm reminded of uh, when they when Jesus is talking about divorce, and they say, you know, uh, Moses had to allow this because of the hardness of your hearts. Yes. But from the beginning, it was not so. Mm-hmm. And I think what that really speaks to is that we live in a fallen world. And so, um, obviously, in Eden, there's no need for guns. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as Christians, we are looking to be the example of what God intended for this world and to look like Christ. And so that's why I think Jesus calls us to not use violence so that we're not adding to the brokenness of this world. Yes. However, we still live in a broken world. And so there's the consequence of that. I think it's, so you can see that obviously Moses allowing people to be divorced was not sinful, but it was not good Hmm. Hmm. because Jesus says, you know, that, that was not the way it was from the beginning, right? It, where, when it was good in the garden, that's not the way it was. Right. And so I think that that's the thing that we have to be conscious of is that um, <clears throat> there is a tension there where we are living in a fallen world and there is danger. Um, and that's, that's a real thing. You are coming under threat that you, you wouldn't necessarily be um, in, in the perfect world. Yeah, that's true. I guess like there is some duty on the part of the Christian. So, I mean, if you have a family, like if you're raising a family, it is a good thing if that family survives, like is not killed, right? Like that would be better for the world, especially if you're training your children up in in the ways of the kingdom and, and whatnot. So I, yeah, I mean, I understand it from that perspective. It's just like, but it seems like that isn't quite, that isn't quite this ethic of non-resistance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, to throw like a real wrench in this, right? Um, So a lot of the um, motivation behind the United States in their sort of world police position um, following the Second World War was we're going to be the moral authority, right? Yeah. Um, As a Christian nation, right? I think Mm -hmm. there's still like 70% claim to be Christian. Yeah. Um, And so they were saying that, you know, we have... Uh, we know what is good and true, and we're going to resist regimes, um, political ideologies that we think will make the world a worse place. Yeah. And we're going to enforce that with military power. Um, yeah. And that was done under a, you know, a, a Christian ethic. That was the, their idea of what that looked like, right? And so I think what gets very interesting is when we say, oh, um, <clears throat> one, the, the mix between, you know, Christian identity and nationalism gets, makes, like, complicates every issue. But I think especially in this context... Um, and you can say, well, as a Christian, should I be, um, do we need to go to war? Right. Because we're going to say, well, you know, killing is clearly wrong. Like Mm. murder is a crime. Well, why is it justified in the case of war? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wrestled with that too. Like, I mean, okay. So there's this movie that's coming out actually this Christmas and it's about a guy that fought for the, or was a German during world war two. And like, I shouldn't reference the movie, but that's how I know about it. Um, his name was Franz Jagerstadter or something like that. And he basically was a conscientious objector for the Nazis. And I believe the Pope actually at that time supported the German cause in World War II. I, I forget if it was a German Pope or not, but he's he's infamously referred to as like Hitler's Pope, that, that he was... He sided with that. And But this, this guy, this uh, conscientious objector wouldn't fight for the Nazis. And I think like often, I mean, maybe you guys have seen the movie, um, Hacksaw Ridge. Yes. Hacksaw Ridge. 
yeah, if you guys have seen that movie, like that's one like from our side, it's like, oh, this guy like didn't want to kill people, like um, but you have to consider like there's the other side too. Like there are two sides in every war, and each side probably thinks they have like a stake in this. Like for the Germans, they probably thought I should fight for my country. Like this is about my people, mm. and we see this a lot. Like a lot of wars have been over resources. Like that's often what it is under the guise of like potential threat. The Iraq War, for example, you know, and without getting like too much into like the causes of that, a lot of people saw that as like oh. This was about oil. This was about protecting American resources. And then the threat of weapons of mass destruction was just a guise to say that, oh, we're actually protecting our own nation, especially in the wake of 9-11 and all that. So that's where it gets very complex because, like, I think once you make certain concessions, it's very easy to see resources and, like, national interest as, like, an extension of protecting mm -hmm. oneself. Yeah. And to make this even more complex, I think it's very easy to say, oh, <clears throat> you know, we're going to look at war. Uh, that's a thing of the world and that's not of God. Um, mm -hmm. Except read the Old Testament, right? Like God commanded the Israelites to go in and kill everyone, right? And I think you can say, well, let's look at the textual analysis, you know, like um, like exaggeration and overestimation were literary devices that were common perhaps, but like God did go in, command the Israelites to go in and take land from people. Right. Yeah. So maybe, so, okay, well we can say, well, obviously anything that God commands is right, you know, right. and God didn't command, you know, us to go to war. So that's not the context, but it can't be universally wrong to do that because God commanded it. So I we, we, we can't just like have like a, uh, a hard line position, black and white thing that there's never a time for this. That's what you're saying with that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's, that's the danger with saying, you know, pacifism is the way to go. Like, you know, absolute pacifism. Um, because you're sort of ignoring what God said. And so I think you can say it has to have at least a qualifier of, you know, only when God commands it. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's the, that would be the, uh, the minimum shortcut you could take in order to satisfy that. Could you not maybe see the argument that the ethic of non-resistance is now part of the new covenant? Because I think a lot of what you're referring to as far as God commanding the Israelites to go kill was very much part of one particular section of, of our history, um, you know, as, as people of God, as people that worship Yahweh, that like the Israelites were his chosen people at that time. And he was kind of taking them from place to place um, to settle them in kind of the promised land and you know that was one part of the journey but now that that's over and we're under the new covenant could a case be made that this is now how we are to live 100% of the time I think yes we can say that that's the goal but I think as with all values of Christianity um, this is something to which we are like you know as Paul says you know press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me or like the whole the whole race analogy of like you know a uh, always pursuing but never actually attaining um because heaven is not here um but we should always pursue that and mm -hmm. so i think that absolutely as christians we should always seek peace first right always seek to de-escalate conflict right um but there is the reality of living in a fallen world where the consequences of that are going to affect you and you're going to have to discern right so i think that's another thing is is discernment is huge you can't necessarily make a overarching um theological rule 
or or really any philosophical statement about that applies in every situation i think that there's going to have to be an active discernment that's required for your context i think to come back to it is um I'll just ask this question. Uh, what are the thoughts on, I recently saw a, a video, um, a 13-year-old uh, went into an LCBO. Well, this is an American place, so. Um, American liquor store? The American liquor store. Attempted to buy liquor, got laughed at, got refused. Went to a gas station to get cigarette, got laughed at, got refused. Tried to buy a nude magazine, got laughed at, sent home. Went to a gun shop, 13 years old, and in this video, he walked out with a 22 caliber rifle in under five minutes, fully licensed, fully legal. So I think the question is, is like, what is our stance on, should that be, is that justifiable? Yeah, I'm, I, that's a great question because a lot of the other stuff you, you mentioned that he wasn't able to buy, I would say like, it's, it's good that <laughs> a 13 year old couldn't get a porn magazine or liquor or, or things that they're either immoral or they're not ready for yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, guns should definitely be in that category, certainly even in a place where, where they're legal, because I, I don't think a 13-year-old would have the decision-making skills to properly use one. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to disagree slightly. So I think that um, there's, there's a big difference between guns and the other items in that list. All of the other items, um, upon initial use, are going to affect your mind and have negative impacts on an undeveloped mind. So cigarettes, underage, absolutely not great. Mm -hmm. um, porn, absolutely not great. Um, going to mess with your mind. Mm -hmm. um, a gun will not necessarily. It is a lot of power, though, right? So we could definitely put that in the context of like having a driver's license, something like that, where it's like you have the potential to do damage. So we want to restrict this. Um, certainly a 13 year old might not be a might not be a good age, but whatever. I mean, that that happens to be the law for them. But I think there is uh, it is a different category of you have now the ability to do things. I think if you're living on a farm as a 13 year old, there's a decent chance you're actually going to use that gun in a good and helpful way. And uh, you might actually need that. However, you know, um, that's sort of the problem with making a law and allowing it for some contexts is people may abuse that. And so people who don't need that, um, some 13-year-olds definitely shouldn't have guns and some 13-year-olds maybe should, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I know like, in in the u.s like a lot of children will participate in like skeet shooting competitions like and i think there's you know there's fun in that for sure I, i've i haven't shot like a, a gun like that but i i used to take an air rifle and you know target practice with that there there's definitely some fun to be had there it's the same as like archery or um if you have a slingshot maybe more powerful more dangerous than those things but yeah, for, for, for children in that context, I suppose it's okay. Um, but I do feel like it all does feed into like a larger gun culture that where it, it's all very muddled and it has kind of gotten us to some of the problems that we have today where people are just so attached to their guns and they're so readily available for that reason. And then we do end up with a lot of gun violence because you never know when someone is going to, you know, develop the mental instability that some of these mass killers have had. Like it's, 
that can that can happen at any point in their development. I mean, it could happen when their development is supposedly done too. Someone can can snap like uh, without trying to overanalyze this from like a psychological perspective. That that just it's you can't always recognize the signs of of a killer. But that might be taking it into a different direction. But there's just so many different angles you can take on it. Um, for example, the Columbine shooter, the mm-hmm. young man there. Um, his his mother actually wrote a book basically, and you know a lot of people attribute kids and guns to bad parenting right but she wrote a book basically and obviously she was judged heavily she couldn't even go in the public people just thought she was a bad parent didn't do it right but in her mind she thought she was doing okay right so there's a lot of like different aspects to take from it like is having a gun at 13 okay if your parents are having a healthy influence on you or is that enough Mm -hmm. or is that not going to be enough yeah, and I, I mean, there's so much that kids will not tell their parents. Like, kids are always going to keep things from their parents. They're going to keep, you certainly keep your motivations close to your chest a lot of the time because, like, you don't even have to expose you, your reasoning for doing things. You just kind of do them. You can, you can, it's very easy to lie about, you know, how you're feeling about a certain thing. And kids probably aren't going to be like, I feel very powerful holding this gun. No kid's probably going to say that. Some really honest ones might. Yeah, I agree. And I think it comes back to what Zach was saying is like, maybe we're more talking about like, is it too easy to get a gun? Like, should there be more restrictions on, on like how you go about it? It shouldn't be like a five minute thing and you got a gun. It should maybe be like, no, like what's your background? Let's do a little bit of like investigating here. I I like the, the whole like purpose approach of it. Like in Canada, you know, it's, it's for hunting, like, um, that, that kind of thing. Like I, as much as like we're talking about fairly harmless uses like ski shooting and all that, there's trade-offs. There's always trade-offs to it. Mm-hmm. You may be taking away people's favorite hobby, but you may also be saving tons of lives. And like I think that is the very real like trade-off we have to confront. Yeah, I think the question of how many lives is this worth, right? Like if you're going to say, you know, I like to go out shooting and it's it's like sure, but you 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 know your right to go out shooting has now cost one person's life. Is that worth it? Um and then it's definitely not one person. I yeah. think is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um but to me, uh as a Christian, the intrinsic value of human life is is infinite. And so Yes. Uh if we can and this gets really complex when we look at public policy. Um is, you know, if we're going to always look at it, well, how do we reduce deaths? I think one of the things, um, to my understanding, the NRA has lobbied um, policies in Congress such that they will not be able to fund studies on gun violence. Wow. And... Like, that's just... So they just don't want the truth to be out there. That, to me, is the, is the most damning evidence, I think, mm-hmm. where... To me, if you're not interested in doing studies on the consequences and, and reducing risk, um, that that's the enemy of progress. Like that's yes. how can you like a society that respects like academic integrity and pursuing the truth in order to create a better world mm-hmm. um, can never say this is something we don't want to look at. That's right. Yeah, because that's actually anti-democratic. Like that is an anti-freedom position at that point, allowing people to know. Th- enough to make their own informed decision on an issue absolutely um now i don't actually understand I, I i don't know the full context of that law there could be other things in there that i'm not aware of but certainly on the surface level that seems mm-hmm. suspicious i think um there was a there's another thing um on malcolm gladwell's podcast he 
was talking about the stand your ground laws in the states and they had looked at sort of the increase in um what happens in gun violence deaths after a state passes a stand your ground law which more or less says that you know you have the the right to stand your ground um should uh you know s some sort of situation arise and as it turned out that people by standing the ground were escalating situations and they were saying that you know the there were i think it was three or four percent was the number um was the increase in gun deaths in white middle-aged men and so what they're saying is these people were like this was causing more deaths was allowing people to stand their ground um and it's it's very complex because you might think well that's actually a good thing like we want people to be able to protect themselves. That's one of the, the key reasons why we're allowing people to have guns. But passing that law actually has the opposite of the intended effect. And I think that's something where, uh, you know, a study on what are the consequences of this would be huge, where you would be able yes. to say, okay, we can look at the data and we understand that despite, you know, what the intended effect of the law is, it doesn't actually get that done. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. for example, um, the gun sales in the United States were highest under... Obama, not under Trump, because people feared that their uh, rights to guns would be taken away, and so yes, they bought them yes. preemptively, yeah. versus um, under the current administration, they don't fear that, mm. so gun sales are actually dropping. And so <laughs> there, there's sort of the, the, a counterintuitive nature to many yeah. things, because yeah. you know human beings are complex, and, and social um, like consequences of laws are, are very complex things and take a long time to study. And so if you're going to say, well, we're not even going to fund a study into the consequences of this, like you're just putting yourself way behind. Yeah, I agree. I, I think like that's just where it's so ironic to me because I always hear about freedom and, and rights when it comes to this. But yeah, when you actually like dare even like dig into the, the validity of it, the effectiveness of it, like what, what, consequences is this having like people want to deny you the right to know that so it's not even really about freedom in, at that point or democracy it's about just i want what i want and I, as, as the gun lobbyist or the gun the nra or or whoever yeah uh rights and freedoms is a huge topic i think you can get pretty deep into that but um what people seem to forget is that your rights only extend so far as they don't affect other people. Um, so we can say that, you know, you have the right to, well, especially in Canada, you can say, well, we have the right to free speech, right? It's like, well, you do, but you don't have the right to slander. You can be charged for that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so you, you don't have the, and even on a moral level, like, yes, but you don't have, you know, it's not a moral good to, um, to gossip, right yes um th that may be your right to do it but it's not good mm -hmm. and so like there's always limits on your rights and i think that's something that's very clear in the bible as well is that when you live within these guidelines um it is actually for your own flourishing that the restrictions on your freedoms are always good um and and that's what responsibility means is it mm -hmm. is a restriction on your freedom for the betterment of you and those around you yep i mean we are we are social people like the group benefiting this is and this is maybe controversial but like the group benefiting is actually good for all of us individually ideally like that is where the good of the group i i would actually say it does matter more than the good of the individual because i i've learned as i've gotten older that you you are only as good as the circle that you run in like you are 
very impacted by that. Your life is very much shaped by that. My life right now is shaped by, outside of work, is shaped by the people that I spend time with. And if that group is doing well, I do well. And so if people are not getting gunned down in the street in my society, then that is ultimately better for me than if I was allowed to go, you know, shoot my gun wherever I wanted to. Like, whether or not I am a responsible individual that's capable of doing that without hurting anyone, other people are not. And which society do I want to live in? I want to live in the one that maybe I don't have the right to do that as much as I might want to, but people are safer. Yeah, I think sort of to open up a new topic is there's definitely a need for um, for police, for uh, enforcement of security in society in order to be able to stop a person, right? Um, the restriction of someone is absolutely uh, key. And I think that's one of the, the concept of the taser was this was supposed to be the non-lethal method of stopping a person. Now, mm. as it turns out, it hasn't quite worked out yeah, the way everyone lethal, dreamed it. Right? Yeah. As it's been lethal in a lot of cases. It doesn't yeah. stop some people. And so it, it hasn't been the ultimate solution. But I think ideally in a you know a good society, we're always going to need the, the option to be able to stop people. Um, and currently, uh, guns sort of are the ultimate authority in a situation. And so that's why all of our police officers are armed. And I don't think it would be good for them not to be armed. Yeah. Um, However, hopefully we would have technological advancements. Some sort of device would be invented such that we could stop people um, with zero possibility of harm. And yeah. that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. But again, we don't live in that world currently. Yeah. Braden, do you have, uh, do you have hope that uh, technology will, will dig us out of this as someone in I don't know, emergency services? I think it's a challenging topic. But I think if you, I can kind of skip away for a sec. If you compare Canadian police to American police, yeah, yeah, you can really see some obvious differences. Yeah, um, I mean, America's a whole again and again, guns down there are quite like active. Mm -hmm. So obviously they're pretty gun heavy down there. Even the cops, right? Um, the cops here are not gun heavy. I mean, if you're wanting to be a police officer, my advice would be don't advertise that you go to a gun range because that's not kind of cops that we want in this region, right? Right. They want cops who are, you know, want to be interested in, like, community support, socializing, mm -hmm. like, yes. gentle. They want gentle cops. Like, yeah. the ones I meet, like, that are all gun-heavy are having trouble with getting hired. And yeah. that's, I think that says something about what Canadian politics is trying to influence, right? Yeah, well, we don't want, like, a culture of fear. Like, there, there is actually, like, you know, tons of animosity towards cops in the States and in Canada too, probably because we, we see cops in the States. Like all the cop shows that you see are like American cop shows and all the police brutality you see is usually from the States. I'm not saying they're all like, there are probably some instances happening in Canada too, but the, the, the bad publicity, bad publicity about police tends to be American. And yeah, like I, the, the gentle cop, you know, I, I hope that's the case. <laughs> and and there's there's inaccuracies in that too, right? Because even myself, when we uh, sedate patients that are, you know, excited delirium where they're attacking people or attacking us, it's hard not to be, it's hard to be gentle with those people. Mm -hmm. And I've had many cases where the public watches do a takedown. I, like I assist, I by no means do the takedown, but we assist, right? Or we chemically sedate or something like that. And the public sees it and it looks like we're abusing that person. Right. 
but we're just trying to control mm-hmm. and like ultimately help them yeah it's for gonna... their better good and mm-hmm. it, it can look bad and yeah. I, I and now that i'm in the field and I, I do it i'm like this could look bad if someone's watching like when we were doing this on the public i'm like i really hope no one's watching this because it looks bad yeah but it's hard like when someone's under the influence of drugs just for an example like they are excessively strong like i've seen them walk through tasers you taser them twice they walk through right i've seen them break through handcuffs so wow. you're talking like how do you how do you gently treat someone who just broke through handcuffs you know what i mean yeah, so seriously there's a, there the public doesn't quite see everything mm-hmm. they get the video footage of a third party they don't get to actually be in there witnessing it wow so yes there are cops that are you know there's brutality definitely there are some that just look like brutality but you could argue like how gentle can he be or how gentle can she be yeah yeah it, it really isn't black and white when you when you put it like that for sure i think we definitely are conditioned to always sympathize with you know the person the victim maybe in a situation or who it appears to be the victim um but yeah it's not always as simple because we we maybe didn't see the context of what happened before and i am i am as vocal well not as vocal i am as opposed to police brutality as as they come but yeah i have to recognize the bias in the footage you see as well mm-hmm. and like i for instance like i i refused i received a complaint once at work um we had a, a gentleman who was under the influence of drugs running through the streets mm. and uh almost getting hit by cars he uh, when you're under the influence of drugs you don't have your mind isn't under control right so uh, the cops and paramedics and firefighters we, we circled him to keep him safe uh ended up having to tackle him and that's where the complaint came that that was excessive Mm-hmm. But at what line is like yeah. violence not the answer, right? Obviously, we're talking about guns, so we're getting a little off topic here. But we're still talking about passivity, pacificity. Yes, I'm gonna say that. Yeah, and and like aggression, right? So violence, guns. Yeah. So. No, totally. That's good. Zach, any last thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the concept of um, <clears throat> police brutality is pretty horrific. Um, it's one of the most terrible things. I think I would put it in the same group as like political corruption where like Mm -hmm. you have just undermined justice like you have abused authority like that's one of the most terrible things you could ever do yeah um and you have really like torn apart the fabric of the society and like that's awful however i think that the media plays the worst role in these situations um there's a lot of situations where a video comes out and they make a judgment and they, people write articles, people get super incensed, this um, immediate reaction, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's sort of the problem with uh, the internet and the way news travels now is, is if you can get that article out first, you're going to make a lot more money off. And so people yeah. make passing yeah. judgments. And to be honest, there's a reason why police don't release information until days mm-hmm. later publicly yeah. is because the truth the is hard yeah. to figure out. Yeah, that's right. And so... If you're going to like pass judgment, people get upset, and uh, you know people do this, you know vigilante judges, uh, justice idiocy, right? Where they say, you know, like let's dox this person or whatever, yeah, right? like yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get this person because the just because they because they've lost faith in the justice system, right? right? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, due process is so important, and like we've established this like a hundred years ago for a reason. Yeah. Is because uh, the truth is hard to figure out, and you know, you don't want to be doing things to an innocent person. And so, yeah, it's, it's a real struggle, I think, to figure out what is true and to act appropriately on that.
yeah. Well, this topic has been great, guys. It is starting to, to rain a little bit. We are sitting outside. It was such a nice day a little while ago. But um, thanks for coming on the cast. Uh, this was a great topic, and I, I hope to have you guys back on soon.